Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I know it's midweek. I know we just had an Arscast Extra. We're going to have an Arscast Extra on Friday after the Southampton game. But yesterday, Arsenal sorted out the contracts of four players whose futures had to be decided by midnight last night. Those were Danny Ceballos, Pablo Marie, Cedric Suarez, and David Luiz. Um, there are some discussion points, I think, to be had around three of those anyway, um, not four. But with me to do that uh, is Clive Palmer. You'll know him from the uh, Arsenal Vision podcast. Hi, Clive. Hi, Andrew. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Um, just very briefly, the Danny Ceballos one is the easiest one just to get done. He's on loan from Real Madrid. Extend him a few more weeks. He goes back to Spain, finds a new club next season, and everybody everybody's pretty happy. Yeah, I mean... Whether you love him or not, and I don't love him, but he's doing a job for us. And um, I think he's got his eyes on either Betis or Valencia back in Spain. Mm. And I think the Spanish league, I don't say suits him, I don't want to say that. I think he's done, a, he's done fine for us. But I don't think he solves the problems that the Arsenal midfield has. But he's doing a job, and given the fact we've got issues with Shaka, it makes perfect sense. Right, so I'm going to go at these in kind of reverse order in terms of how they make my brain hurt. Um, which you know goes from uh, zero to about three thousand on the pain, uh, the stay painometer. Calm, stay calm. <laughs> I'm calm. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Pablo Marie is a player that we we got in on loan from Flamengo um, yeah. in January, and it, it seemed a bit of a complicated deal because. Um, he came and he went and it was all done and then it wasn't done. But, you know, on paper, we've got a 26-year-old central defender, left-footed, good on the ball. He's got physical presence. He's tall, probably good in the air. And I say probably because, you know, I've, I've seen him play twice for Arsenal uh, and the few minutes that he got against Manchester City before he went off injured. Um, the question about, you know, why we couldn't just have bought him in January is is another one, and maybe we'll move on to that in a little bit. But, you know, on paper, when you look at the Arsenal defence, when you look at some of the um, the players that we have there and the need that we have to rebuild, this one seems, you know, the least, uh, well, I was going to say problematic, but that's not the word I want to use. This one makes a lot of sense. It does. I, I, I like him as a player. I like what he brings to the team. Even in the game against Man City, you could see that the players were giving him the ball. I felt he was the leader of the back four until he went off. You can see him directing traffic. You can see him dropping off to receive it. And so all the things that he showed, 
I thought that's exactly what I want to see. It's hard to judge him on his quality in mm. that game, but you know, he's got he's got the behaviours of a centre back, of an Arsenal type centre back. Also, being a left footer, he's got the the Shaka light switch from from left to right, and he's got that first time pass out to the left back really easy because it's just an easier angle for him. I, I like having the lefty in, in my centre back partnership, and also he can play in the back three, which if you look at William Saliba at uh, St Etienne. He's also spent time in the back three. Saliba's also spent time as left centre half, but primarily the right centre half. And you can look at this and think, well, okay, if we were ever to go to a back three like we did for a period against Brighton, which I failed to pick up initially, that type of player can easily slide into that left hand zone. And, and since we've lost Monreal, we've lost that player really. And I don't think Tierney should be that player to sort of cover the centre back role. So it makes sense footballistically, Andrew, for me. And personally, I like the player, but how can I say it's going to work because we just need a bigger sample size? Yeah, that's very true. And look, the career trajectory of, of Pablo Marie has been fairly unconventional, you know, to, to go to Manchester City, where, you know, he, I think he said himself he didn't even work with Mikel Arteta because he went yeah. there and then was immediately loaned out to the Spanish second division a couple of years. And then he, he did a year in the Eredivisie. So, you know, he's had some experience and then he went to Flamengo, uh, who are by some distance the best team in Brazil, uh, best team in South America. So I think what he was able to do there is uh, demonstrate his his uh, footballing abilities. I'm not sure that week in, week out, his defensive uh, qualities were being tested uh, in a way that would give us a, a good idea of, of what kind of a defender he is. Um, and the other point that I was going to make on him, which I've completely forgotten right now... Uh, what was the point I was going to make on him? Oh yeah, just in terms of just in terms of you know we we, we look at that and we think well that's not the usual pathway to Premier League football, but yeah. it is uh, within the realms of possibility that a guy's career can can develop and uh, and and uh, what have you at, at at a different rate than you might normally expect. There are such things as as late bloomers. So while I think it's impossible to say that it's a good signing. It does tick the boxes on paper, um, and we've got to hope that you know what what they saw in him, um, you know, on the training ground that made them decide to to make it a permanent deal. Uh, are things that we're going to see on the pitch in the coming years for Arsenal? Yeah, maybe. I think you have two different ways of coming up. I call it the red carpet way via the academy route, where you come up in a cottaged environment all the way through your career, and you arrive at the first team, and everything's done for you, and it's all great. Sometimes that can lead to some bad attitudes because as soon as you get hit a rock in the road you struggle in adversity right we have many of those in in academies today and it's one of the byproducts of of academy training that last piece around the mentality of a player is really really key and you do see some players that i think suffer for that cosseted upbringing i think with um marie I, when I was doing my YouTube scouting, which I always do, and for those that follow me, you'll always know I'm throwing things out there. I think I watched him play for against Liverpool in the World Club final, and I thought he did really well in that game against a very potent attack that may be on holiday a little bit in that tournament, but I thought he, he stood up. And if you can run with Mane and Salah and work out how to adjust, given the fact that they are quicker than you and not be caught out too many times, that mm. to me was my my measure to where he could be. And I, and I felt, if you look at him pre-lockdown, look at him post-lockdown, I felt he kept himself in real shape. He dropped some weight. I think I really was disappointed that he got injured in that Man City game because I think he's going to confirm my suspicions that he's not a bad player. So, yeah, I'm hoping that one works out for us going forward. Yeah, I mean, it's worth pointing out, you know, we've had some really bad luck in terms of injuries. Gabriel Martinelli injured, Pablo Marie injured, Granite Xhaka injured, although I believe back in, in the squad and should be available for the game against Southampton. Burned Leno, of course, uh, and thankfully, while it's a bad injury and keeps him out for the rest of the season, uh, it's not... Not as bad as, as we first feared. So it is one of those things that, that Mikel Arteta has had to deal with. You know, speaking of injury, we also signed a, a player in January on loan, this time from Southampton, who we're playing tomorrow night, Cedric Suarez. Um, this one, I can see the logic in 
having a, a deputy or competition or depth when it comes to the right back position because the options that we have there are imperfect. Um, you know, the, the Maitland-Niles thing is a little bit confusing to me because I can't countenance for the idea uh, for a second the idea that Maitland-Niles sort of went to Mikel Arteta and put his foot down and said, I don't want to play right back for this team ever again, so don't pick me there. Uh, you know, he might have... Uh, been a little less forthright, but you know we did have options there uh, in January. Socrates had played there. You know it's not great, but it's still an option. Uh, we had Maitland Niles who could play there if he was told and picked to play in that position. And what we're looking for, I suppose, is Hector Bellerin to get back to his best. And maybe he can't do that if he's having to play every game at right back. Um, so on paper, again, Suarez Premier League experience with Southampton. Even if he's a player they didn't particularly want to keep um i think maybe the issue really is the the duration of the deal he's 28 years of age uh and he's got a four-year contract so would would concerns you have about this one be more related to how long the contract is than the 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 profile of the player how long the contract is and, and at what cost i think he's already cost us more money than he needed to so far i mean we paid nearly a million pound loan fee for a player that Southampton were going to lose for free. We paid his 65 grand a week wages for to hold this kind of year and he hasn't kicked the ball for us. So that's already cost us a sum of money. So it's not really a free transfer. So we've basically paid around five million pound for the opportunity to sign Southampton's right back at 28 years of age. Now his career path has been pretty good. He obviously won the Euros with, with Portugal. He's been at Southampton five, six years. And he's a decent right back. Let's not mess about it. He's a decent right back. I think what we're struggling with at the moment, this is part of a rebuild, but we've seen different ways how the right back's been used and currently. We've seen it played as a more inverted role. So I don't know if he's suited to that. Uh, I've seen Bellerin play that inverted right back role and I personally don't think he's suited to that role. I think he's much more a dashing right back that likes big distances, repeat sprints when he's on form and in in the best health. I feel that he struggles in that inside role. He needs more of a midfielder right back. Somebody's comfortable with the ball receiving on both feet. And guess what? We've sort of got one of those in Maitland-Niles, which really frustrates me that he doesn't recognise that there's an opportunity in the potentially in the way Arteta wants to play that suits my skill sets, allows me to use my defensive abilities that I've improved over the last couple of years, but also the fact that I've been brought up as a midfielder, I suit this role. And it's a shame that he doesn't recognise that. It's a shame that he's brought in A.D. Ward as his agent, which tells me he may not be around for much longer because when you hire A.D. Ward as your agent, that's not for a comfortable comfortable time at Arsenal that's because mm. you may be looking for the departure now so I think that this is, that player is really not defining his role within the team or the squad and I'm not too sure how much longer he's going to be at the club and could be used to raise some funds yeah it, it is such an odd one because you know he played the first couple of games under Arteta when Arteta came in and was looking to play that inverted fullback you know d- dropping in as a, a central almost a central midfield player and he did well you know, he did really well. well. And maybe, look, maybe he's got ambitions to be a different kind of a player and he do- just doesn't want to be what, you know, what the opportunity is giving him at Arsenal. Um, Andrew, remember when Theo was pining to be a centre-forward? Yes. And, and we could see that he was doing fine on the right wing, crossing for Van Persie and Giroud. I want to play in the middle. And he went in the middle and just got lost in there and eventually went back out to the wide side again. Mm. I'm looking at, Ainsley are thinking, don't Theo yourself up, will you? Don't do not do this to yourself. When you walk into the room, recognise the opportunity that's available and, and seize it. And then they develop your career from that moment on. And I just feel he's missing an opportunity here. Mm, okay, well, look, that might come out in the wash at some point when we um, when we either move on from Ainsley Maitland-Niles or move him on and, and he does his first interview somewhere and explains exactly what his thinking was at the time. And maybe Arteta will explain his thinking about, about not using him. Um, so let's uh, move from Suarez to David Luiz. Um, you know, I could see logic in hanging on to David Luiz until the end of this season because everything is so strange. You know, the the 
the football world has been turned upside down, topsy-turvy, and what we've seen in the first couple of games from an Arsenal point of view is that you know injuries um, are prevalent and certainly more prevalent than we had hoped. Um, so having some squad depth is important. Uh, you know, there is still a trophy to play for and having experience uh, in your squad is also important. So, you know, I could see the logic in keeping Louise until the end of this season and then saying, well, thank you very much. This has been uh, an expensive, if um, not a hugely successful exercise. Uh, the very best of luck to you. Off you go. Have a nice life somewhere else. You seem like a very nice man. Uh, uh, people like you and all the rest. But let's let's just take this opportunity to do it the easy way, to cut ties the easy way. And, it, you know, I'm a little bit... Am I flabbergasted? I'm not necessarily flabbergasted, but I'm sort of disappointed that we're going to have another year of, of David Luiz at Arsenal. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, so let me give you my thoughts, you know, because I think there's a couple of sides to this. I think if you look at it footballistically, you can say, okay, I'm gonna, I've got a young 18 year old centre half coming from France, potentially going to buy another young centre half because with Socrates and Mustafi in the last year of their contracts, Chambers injured, holding, returning, I could really do with a loan. You can see, you could see there's a space there for him, and with Mary injured, mm. so football wise, you think, you know what? He's probably worth another year, as long as we're not paying £200,000 a week for him. He's worth another year. And he can be the babysitter to bring these guys forward. And I get a level of leadership, expertise. He's won every trophy there is to win. I get a level of that within my squad. And there are you know, lots of good conversations about him off the pitch that is a very positive influence. But then I look at the other angle. And I look at the fact that there's been some lots of unbelievable articles recently and we listened to Arteta speak you listen to him talk about the culture change he wants to bring into Arsenal and I've often felt that our culture recently Andrew, has been defined by stupidity stupid decisions um, players that do stupid things on a football pitch the lack of seriousness and I look at David Louise and every now and again he absolutely goes against the culture that I would like to see you know, implanted in the club. Mm. So you have a situation where you have a young squad, where we have a young group of players that do need the right type of professionals alongside them to help them develop. And then you look at the things that we want to rid ourselves of. We want to rid ourselves of players that play what they like and do what they like when they like. We want to rid ourselves of high-paid players using after the place for pensions, for example, so they can stay in London, live in London. We want to, we want to rid ourselves of that we want to be more serious. We want to be more, raise our standards. And I just feel David Luiz goes against that culture to change. And I think a lot is going to be on him now to get his head back on because football has a very short memory, two good games that people forget. But one bad mistake that people remember. And that's what he did against City, where before the lockdown he was playing really well. So I think it goes against the culture change, the culture shift. And he has got the work to do to get Arsenal fans back on side because I think there's a fair few that are really questioning that decision. Yeah, I mean, look, I think it's fair to say that Arsenal have made a decision which isn't uh, universally popular among many yeah. fans if my timeline is anything to go by. Albeit one that, I, again, like I can see a certain amount of, of, of logic to it because, you know, there are question marks over, over all the players. I mean, I just look at him and I see a player who when he feels like it as you said is is uh, he, he can do he can do fine but the city game you know this idea that well I couldn't concentrate properly because because of my contract that is not the contract it's not the guy it's just you know is this kind of excuse making um yeah. and I worry about you know his relationships with coaches and how quickly things can change in his mind you know how quickly a situation can go from well this is good to this is no longer acceptable to David Luiz. You know, you think about what happened at Chelsea. It's like, well, I just signed a brand new contract here and my second spell at the club. Nope, don't want to be here anymore. Let's go to Arsenal because that opportunity came up. So, you know, I, I, I worry about it from that point of view. And I see a player who is, uh, I know the sample size is smaller in terms of the amount of performances, but when you look at the mistakes, when you look at the penalties, when you look at the red cards, you know, we talk about players being late bloomers and everything else. 
there are players who, when they reach a certain point in their career, can just kind of go off a cliff. Their performance levels just go crazy. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think of one. Maybe Gary Neville, somebody like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he can just hit you like that. I think with him, he's one of those that when he, he's just no in between, there's no, there's no six out of 10 game. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's like a complete disaster or he looks pretty good. You know, and, you know, for Emery, he didn't do very well. For Arteta, he's done really well up until, you know, look, I say really well. He's done okay. Yeah. But when he's not, when he's emotionally stressed, like at Chelsea, for example, going back to his old club, he does silly things. He tries too hard. Himself and Tim would talk about this on the podcast. And when he makes a mistake, he then tries to chase after it and tries to fix everything himself and goes a bit raw in the rovers and starts running after the ball. Mm. Where you need to calm down, stay in your structure and offer some leadership to the rest of the team. Don't compound your mistake. So when he makes a mistake, he makes two or three. You know, so yeah. and that's what you don't expect from an experienced player that's won everything in the game. So you are taking a gamble with him. And I think a lot of responsibility is on him now to to babysit this this change, this rebuild. And I think he's the one player that's there to say, okay, I've done this before, follow me, guys. Well, yeah, we want to follow you, the good David Luiz. We don't want to follow the David Luiz that's all against Man City because that's not really um, professional in any way or form. Mm. Well, look, we, we've talked about those contract renewals from a footballing perspective and in the wider context of, of what Arsenal need to do. I think uh, it was Edu who said earlier on today, let me see if I can just find this quote here. Uh, boom, boom, boom. I should have had it up already. But um, Edu said uh, that these guys are... Uh, important players. They've been part of the long-term technical plan Mikel Arteta and I have developed. They bring the right balance to our squad. So I think we've already said with Suarez, he provides at least depth at the right-back position. Uh, with, yeah. with Pablo Marie, he gives us an option that we don't have You know, on the left side of our defense. You know, a left-footed central defender, You know, he's the biggest guy in the squad right yeah. now and this is a squad which has lacked physical presence so you can see that David Luiz um, Arteta's never played with a back three but certainly Luiz is somebody who who probably plays his best defensive football in a back three so you know uh, do you think there might be any possibility that that's a system we might use a bit more frequently? See I, I, I'm not against it but I, I argue with many people who are uh, I don't see Arteta doing that next year, but you never know. We're, we're all trying to work out what his plan is going to be, and I'm really encouraged by the 4-3-3 that he used at Brighton. So yeah. the Brighton game was a traumatic result, but tactically I thought it was really interesting and how he used Saka and, and on that left-hand side as a, a left-wing fielder as such, somebody mirroring what Kevin De Bruyne did to us the week before. So I think... That sounds really exciting, you know. Potentially having three fours that don't have to do thirty-yard doggies like you know Bamiyang does to get us back defending because you've got midfield behind you. Mm. That structure may give him less work to do if he's around to enjoy that. Um, so I, I like it. I like it. There's things you, you can do. You can you can change the actors in the play, but I like the structure of that. We also see the four-two-three-one. Again, that suited Shaka and that suited Ozil. They weren't in. They weren't available, so he went another way. Is he going to go to a back three? We don't know. We really don't know. So this rebuild is really opaque for us because players are being dropped in, but we don't really know what style we're going to play. And the real driver will be who he adds on top of this mm. because that will define the style. Who he's able to keep, who he's able to to sell and who he's able to use that cash to replace and upgrade. And then when we all see that player pool, we'll all go, okay, this is how we're going to play, and yeah. it suits more people than it doesn't. I think what he's done, which is a smart thing to do, is look at the group and try to put a system in place that suits them to sustain some results. And results give you serenity. They give you calmness. Mm. And you can see with two defeats, the Arsenal world is not serene right now, is it? So <laughs> we, we need to get some results to get us back. And he's trying to put a system in place to do that. So yeah. So many unknowns, Andrew, before we really understand if these moves are any way good or bad. Yeah, I think there are some some layers to the lack of seren serenity. I'm not sure it's entirely down to 
um, to what's happened on the pitch, of course, that really does set the marker for people's moods and everything else. I'm going to ask you about something now in a moment, but just uh, this seems like almost um, uh, an obvious thing to say, but but do you feel like the decision-making that we've seen in the last little while is substantially driven by what's going on in the world at the moment, COVID-19, the financial restrictions, the, the, the ability to get these deals done in a fairly easy way, um, because there is so much uncertainty about what the market is going to be like. So if you know, under normal circumstances, let's say we might have been predisposed to moving away from David Luiz. The fact that we don't quite know what the market is going to be like means, okay, do we do we take the risk of going forward and replacing him in the market, or do we just do what's here and then see what see what things are like in January and see what things are like the following summer? Yeah, it's almost like the devil you know versus the devil that you don't and the cost of what you don't know. And I think that's the David Louise, depending on what he's being paid, could actually be cheaper than going out there and buying, you know, a twenty six year old centre half in peak age at this time. We just don't know or you don't know your revenues, you don't know when the crowd's gonna be in the ground. We've you know, we we have around three million per home game which we're not gonna be getting. That could change, you know. Mm. We could have a partial attendance in the autumn and maybe January you have a full attendance. Those things are not defined yet. So you literally cannot predict your revenues. So you can't predict your outlay. You know, you've got to look for opportunities. Now, you can debate if David Louise is an opportunity, a positive one or not. But it's one that's there that they can do and they understand the standards around it. It's gonna be a, a crazy transfer window. I look around at some of the deals that have been done. You look at um, Arter going to Juventus for 78 million euros. That to me doesn't look right. You know, it looks crazy. That's If that's set in the market, I'm not sure if it is. That tells you that some people are still being stupid when it comes to financial. So I think football's going to look to generate cash as quickly mm. as possible. And the teams who don't have that self sustainable model like we do. They're going to grab the opportunities. Yeah. We've only got to look at what Chelsea are doing to see the validation of that. Sure, I mean that's that's that that uh, Arter deal to um, to Juventus. I mean, we're going to talk crazy. about some stuff. Yeah, crazy, but also like it's like what the fuck is going on there? What's happening yeah. here? What is what is the merry-go-round that's going to be set you know set off by this particular move? But look, that's irrelevant. That'll come out uh, down the road. I'm sure we'll see what the the impact of that will be on Barcelona and Juventus and the market, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So let's let's sort of move on to. The, the sort of concept of rebuilding, and I don't think you and I or pretty much anyone listening to this would disagree with the the assertion that Arsenal are a club that is in A, either transition, or B, in need of a serious rebuild uh, for the future. You know, we're, we're going through a period in our, certainly in our recent history, where things are as bad as they have ever been in terms of results, in terms of the, the overall quality of the squad, the quality of the team, the ability to produce performances, and all of those kind of things. So there is a need to address those issues. And as you've said, Mikel Arteta has talked about changing the culture. He's talked about, uh, you know, things like non-negotiables, what he expects from his players. And I think he's been clear as well that he expects those things from the club as well. Um, but let's delve into it a bit. And it's something I wrote about on the blog today, that, that there is uh, an influence at Arsenal that, to me, is a bit worrying. It's it's how we're doing deals and it's who we are doing deals with. So we can talk about the qualities of, of Pablo Marie and we can hope that he's going to be a very good player for us. But I don't think we can ignore the fact that his agent is a guy called Arturo Canales, who was the guy who, who represented Unai Emery when, surprisingly, he became the manager or the head coach of Arsenal. He's got a long relationship with Raul Sanyehi, fellow Spaniard, etc., etc. We have David Luiz, or Kia Jurabchian, of course, is the agent of David Luiz. He was right there in the picture looming over Cedric Suarez when he signed his loan deal. We know that Kia Jurabchian is also uh, the agent of Edu 
who is our technical yep. director, and he has watched games in our director's box with Edu and with Raul Sanyehi, who is our head of football. And we currently have two Kia Jurabjian players at the club. We have been linked heavily with others. You're looking at Willian from Chelsea, uh, who has signed a contract till the end of the season with them, but wants to stay in London, apparently, and there's only one move that he can really make uh, if that's going to happen. So, does that worry you? Do those relationships at executive level worry you when when it comes to properly judging our recruitment? Because I think we all want to think our club is doing the best it can for the club itself and for me, it's hard not to look at the situation at the moment and wonder and worry if certain individuals are not making more or getting more out of these these deals than Arsenal Football Club. So, yeah. So, for me, this is a trust issue. Right? So, who do you trust? So, we're, we're learning about our coaching setup. We're learning around, about our head coach. And we're starting to trust him. We look around and we listen to what other people say. We listen to what he says. We look at how he manages players and situations. And we're thinking, you know what? I want you to succeed. I, I sort of trust you. I trust that your motives are absolutely focused on the, on the team, the club, the football pitch, and how we play. I like you. When I look at the guys off the pitch, they've got work to do for me. Because I look at some of the deals, and I'm, I'm, again, should we? Should we care? But I, I do care. When we can't move in the marketplaces, we should do because we are financially not where we should be, and we are self-sustainable. Every penny counts. So if I see wastage that doesn't allow us to rebuild properly, if I see contract renewal decisions with players getting, in my opinion, too much money and not giving us enough output, if I see good players and good servants walking out the door for free, if I don't see any contract signed for up until this week for nearly a, nearly a calendar year, I look around and say to myself, are you working optimally? I look at our commercial numbers. I think, well, they're not going up. I look at everything around the club. It's been flatlining. So we've been flatlining on the pitch and we're flatlining off the pitch. Now, we have a coach in place which we find encouraging, but he's only as good as the executives around him. And I have question marks. So they need to deliver and they need to deliver and, and reset this club really, really quickly, but or at least do it in a way that we really believe in that's fiscally optimally good and not throwing money away, potentially like I did with Suarez, potentially like I did with Denis Suarez last January. Yeah. And to miss out on Champions League by one point, that tells you how shocking that decision was. You know, so yeah. we need to be better. And we're, and we're just not at the moment. We're just not. And we have to then say to ourselves, do we trust these guys to deliver what we want to see? And I don't think any of us can say that we do yet. And I think, again, the onus is with them to build that trust with us. And that can only be done when the summer's over and the next January's over. And we judge them by what players come through the door and what players go out the door up to me. Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, you can see, for example, at, at Wolves, where George Mendes is heavily involved there, that, you know, an agent... Um, having a significant role on the the makeup of a playing squad can be potentially uh, a positive thing. Maybe not in the long term. I'm not sure that it really works in the long term because you've got you've got all these relationships that need to be maintained forever and ever and ever for it to be, you know, a happy ending. Um, Kia uh, Jurabchin was uh, Mark Hughes' agent when when he was at Queens Park Rangers. It kind of went badly there. Um, it just feels to me dangerous. It is, it is, you know what, Andrew, I sometimes ask myself, do Arsenal need to be in bed with one agent? I mean, I, I don't mind if they're in bed with a number of agents, as long as they've got the ability to attract people to their project. Right? That's the key thing. Do we need to be so aligned with just one agent? And mm. that's, I, don't, I think we're bigger than that. I think we're better than that. It, I, we need to be better than that. We need to be thinking differently than that. I look at Keir's stable of players. And there's a young player called Joelson in uh, at Sport in Lisbon that looks quite bright. And maybe they have to take some people to get to the jewel in the crown. I'm not sure. I'm guessing. 
Why he's a 17-year-old kid in a year's time, he could be special. And maybe we're going to get a, a link into that type of player. So sometimes you have to wear something to get to where you want to go. I understand how business works. And networking is a big part of making deals. But it can't be the only part. And it can't be done that's actually slowing down our rebuild because we're throwing money into areas which are not going to give us any return. Mm. So I think the rebuild, the plan, we keep hearing his word, the plan. Edu spoke to the plan, the rebuild plan. Okay, I've heard you speak now, Edu. That's good. I know your role. So now I have to sit and watch and wait. But it doesn't mean I have to trust and like what's happening at the moment. And I don't quite trust it. Although, I, although obviously, like all of us, we all want it to work. Raul Senya, he said that Arsenal have to outsmart the market, is what he said. Um, you know, when, when he was talking about transfers and talking about our spending ability and talking about our ability to develop players, outsmart the market were the very words that he used. Um, I'm not sure you can say you're outsmarting the market when you're signing players on loan and then paying loan fees and then signing the players on a permanent basis. That's not a good way of, of using your resources. And you touched on players who have left for free and you think of Ramsey and Welbeck last season. You know, the contractual issues that exist at the club right now involving Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, Mustafi, Socrates, Mesut Ozil, all with 12 months left on their deals. Bakayo Saka, the jewel in our academy crown. Arsenal have had months and months and months of lockdown, you know, with, with nothing else to do other than chat chat to that guy's agent and, and make something happen, and they have not made it happen. Um, so I'm sort of I'm sort of concerned in in that regard about you know what we say we want to do. And I used to criticize Ivan Gazidis for this quite a lot. You know, he was a great talker. He would say things, and you'd listen to him speak, and then afterwards you go, well, hang on a minute. Uh, and with Sanya, he, he has said a lot of things that we want to hear, like outsmarting the market, like we have a very good plan, like, um, what was the one I was going to use when he talked about player contracts? You know, we, we have to address the issue of players going into the final year of their contracts. And here we are with a cluster of them, you know, years down the line, and he has not done anything to address that. And I just wonder... I wonder about the profiles of the people that we have in charge of, you know, this, uh, what did you call it? The, the plan that Edu was talking about? The, um, what was it called? The re rebuilding plan or whatever it yeah. might be. Um, yeah, the long-term technical plan. That's the phrase. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, hang on, you know, Sanye, he is... Uh, a businessman, if you like. He's a mover and a shaker. He's a schmoozer. He's a boardroom guy. Uh, Edu is kind of more of an administrator, yeah. you know? Who is driving the the talent spotting side of this technical plan for us? I know we have Francis mm. Kajigao and, and what have you, but, you know, we were supposed to have uh, one of the best um, uh, talent spotters in the game as our technical director. That was Sven Mislintat. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying everything Sven has done, everything Sven did was brilliant and everything Sanye he do has done is terrible. I'm not saying that whatsoever. There's always hits and misses when it comes to, to player recruitment. I just wonder, is there a gap there? It feels like it. And I, I just feel so there's a, it's one, it's one person missing. I, I'm sort of with you there, Andrew. I think, I can see Arteta seems pretty, you know, laser focused what he wants to do. I do have a worry about the depth of his coaching um, staff at the moment, and I would like to see a, maybe a more experienced person in that staff to allow him to drive some of those conversations, to assist him in some of those conversations. If he needs it, he may not need it. He looks like a strong character. But then we also we lost Sven, and that was disappointing because I, I found his approach quite exciting. But I also understand that every single player of any sort of repute has an agent that we have to deal with. So there's no getting away from it. Yeah, It's just how you do it, how smart you do it, how efficient you do it. And I just don't think we're smart and efficient. I don't think our talent identification is good. If you have a long-term plan for Arsenal, yep, absolutely fantastic. Well, how about signing the 18-year-old kid that's absolutely flying? And by the way, every single team in Europe will want to take him. Mm. And he would look very nice in Liverpool and Man City's team right now because he can play left back, left wing, and left number eight. 
in a four-three-three. Uh, sort of like you can see, you can see a role for him at Chelsea, Man City, or Liverpool really, really easily. And they are solid clubs at the moment in a better state than us on when it comes to talent, rebuild, financials. So get the kid signed up. Now these are the things by which you, we measure you on. So can we do that? The kid's been at Arsenal since he was eight years of age. Can we not sign him? You know, mm. Can we not leave that to go on so long? So these are the things that we measure people by. And if you don't do those things efficiently, then you leave yourself open to to question. And and that's where we are. So talent identification, is it going to be agent-led? Is it going to be statistics-led, data-led? Who is defining that? Yeah. So Ed who spoke about it today, for the first time, that is me and Mikhail doing this. So now we can just sit back and, and have a look. But mm. you know what? Please do not mess up that young kid. You know, that is that would be devastating to what we're trying to achieve. Yeah, it really would. It would, you know, uh, I, I've said this before, but that's a sackable offense uh, for me if, if, if that doesn't happen. Uh, and just to sort of, just to go back over what, um, what Mislintat said um, in terms of the approach, uh, his approach when he was um, dealing with recruitment was uh, quality data, video analysis, watching things live, scouting, using Arsenal's data company, StatDNA, um, uh, that we've all heard about. You know, So it, he said it meant we acted independently. We knew all about markets and players in all positions that came into question. And part of the reason that he left um, there was this power struggle behind the scenes and Raul Sanyehi came out on top and Mislintat yep. said, the new leadership work more strongly with what they're offered from clubs or agents through their own networks. And some people might say, well, look, he's got an axe to grind. He's just being bitter. What he said was they work more strongly with what they're offered from clubs. It doesn't mean that they don't do that work, but it feels like the driving force behind the deals has been the contacts book, you know, this contact-led recruitment policy, which to me, you know, you're right to say you've got to deal with agents. You absolutely have to deal with the guys who are trying to get the best for their clients and, you know, clubs who who pay agents to get the best deals for them, to get the most money in for the players that they, they're willing and they're open to selling. But for me, it feels like there is a significant piece missing within our recruitment structure. Like the Mislintat thing was like Sven, on a very basic level, Sven identifies and scouts the players, makes the recommendations. This is a player we want. And Raul's job as that guy was to go and get the deal done. What we're seeing is something completely different in that somebody is offering Arsenal players or giving us the opportunity to sign players because they're well connected to the agents, because it's cozy, because it's convenient. You know, when we needed a, when we needed a a central defender um, in the summer, because of what happened with Koscielny, there was no like, okay, well look, who's out there? What are we going to do? Who's going to be the best player? It's let's call the agent of the technical director, prize this guy away from Chelsea with a shitload of money. uh, And it's, it's really easy and convenient deal to do and what sort of surprised me most is the the necessity it seems anyway to me of Sanyehi to need other agents to help broker these deals when that's the job that he is supposedly the 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 main man to do I, I hear you there Angie you know we've spoken before about this I worry about how vulnerable Arsenal are to opportunists and when you have a close shop with people that are close to each other, there's there's opportunities there. There's opportunities there to not behave appropriately. And there's not I just feel for a while now we've been players have seen ourselves as a soft touch when it comes to wages. Agents see ourselves as a soft touch. And the, the football's a village, these things go around. So it's not just what you do, it's how you operate. Mm. And we and we operate in a in a stupid way on occasion. And it's been there. We we are defined by players walking out the door. We are defined almost by last year contract deals. We are we spent so many summers worrying about players whether they're going to sign or not. It doesn't seem to happen as regularly at other clubs. So this just tells you that when players want to go to a club, they don't just look at the name over the door. They look at how they run. They look at how smoothly they run. They're looking can they trust their careers to mm. that club. And I worry about I worry about Arteta's career until this settles down. If he doesn't get some financial support, I worry about his career at Arsenal. 
And some of these players have not been managed contractually. They've not been managed their careers on the pitch. And if we have an executive structure and a football structure, these are things that I judge them by. You know, if we're going to get a young kid from France, 18, 19 years of age, an outstanding talent, we've got to manage his career. If he goes well, the next young outstanding kid from France will want to come to his club. Mm. If we mismanage his career, if we put people around him that are on too much money that don't support his football ambitions because we've got deals going on with certain agents and we don't fully manage his career, it makes it harder for the coach to rebuild. It makes it harder for us to restore our reputation. I think it's really important this, how we how we protect the jewels in our ground within the club, how we sustain their careers, support their careers, mm. make sure that we get to where we want to get to. Don't get ourselves into a narrow mindset where we are looking at just a number of small agents to do deals based on people that they know. There's a football world out there, and Arsenal Football Club is huge, and use its name and brand to make sure that our breadth of contacts is broader than just one agent. We had a situation with Arsene Wenger, we called him the single point of failure. Let's not repeat that again when it comes to agents. Let's not repeat that. Let's have a depth of structure and a breadth of contacts and a breadth of approach when it comes to signing players and then start to get it right more often than, than we have done in recent years. Mm. So look, just very finally, um, we're playing Southampton tomorrow night. We're going into it off the back of a, a really disappointing defeat to Brighton. I think it's the first time in their history they've ever beaten Arsenal home and away. And that tells you something for sure. Man City, not a great deal we can glean from that particular game, apart from some sort of general reinforcement uh, about how big the gap is between us and them. And we all understand and know the reasons for it. But... But looking at what's left of this particular season, uh, and I'm sort of talking more about from a league point of view, I, I think we can we can try and be optimistic and hope that we can do something in the FA Cup. And, and look, a trophy is a wonderful thing, regardless of what people might think of the FA Cup. And, and the benefits of winning a cup uh, for Mikel Arteta and for this group of players would be huge, not just in terms of their, um, you know, their profiles and everything else, but but for next season as well. There is European football that comes out of winning the FA Cup. But from a league perspective what are you what are you looking for between now and the end of the campaign i mean do you think top six is is realistic or you know is this um i don't want to say an opportunity but but a way to sort of start putting in place some of the foundations that we want to take into next season yeah i think we we, if we lose to southampton i think we should be looking towards next season. I think, you know, I'll be straight with you. I was really positive before the lockdown and I was really positive during the lockdown because there was lots of good noises coming out of the club. So the Man City game, what really hurt me for that game was not so much the result, but the the way it happened, the repeat issues that we see on the pitch, you know, almost like deja vu. But then, then we go into the next game against Brighton and then we lose potentially our goalkeeper which we thought at the time would be for a long time and you look at the damage to the squad and the amount of injuries that we have that positivity is now gone so I I thought we'd get top five Andrew I'll be straight with you You know, I'm quite optimistic before the lockdown mm. after seeing those two games I'm thinking crikey we've got some issues here it's not going to happen I'm not quite there yet with the should we just duck out of Europe completely and, and just rebuild. Although if that was to happen, I wouldn't cry myself to sleep neither. I do think Arsenal needs a reset. You know, it needs a reset. It needs time to focus on maybe less competitions. We have to recognise we have a young, talented group of players that are unknown where their ceilings are. We need to surround them with the right set of older players, with the right set of motivation, with the right set of skill sets that allow us to go away from home and compete more regularly. I mean, I don't know what our record is since Alexis Sanchez left the club. I just you want to use that name as a as a milestone. Mm. But we have I wanna know how many away games that we've won since he left. It's those type of characters, those people that compete, that want to compete particularly when the, the sun is not shining and the environment's different, away from home, we need to have that ability because we don't get the three, four wins on the trot. So we're always reacting to different situations and we don't have that serenity I talk about of a, of continued results. So if we don't win at Southampton, which, you know, let's be honest, it's 50-50, isn't it? 
And if we don't yeah. win there, we need to think about really not saying starting, not say starting again, but maybe just developing a pattern and a way of playing, regardless of the players that are in the shape. And then that's use this period to get ready for next season. All right. Well, look, let's hope we do have some serenity on on Thursday evening slash Friday morning uh, when we'll have to go over whatever happens uh, at St. Mary's against Southampton. But look, as always, a uh, pleasure to talk to you. You can find Clive regularly on the Arsenal Vision podcast, which I, you know, I hugely recommend as well. Uh, we will chat to you again soon. Clive, thanks a million. Thanks a lot, mate. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive P-A-F-C. That's at Clive P-A-F-C. And of course, as I said, on the Arsenal Vision podcast. Right. I'm not going to tear the arse out of it for this particular episode. Again, though, thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you uh, for supporting. If you want to give us a review or rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever the hell it's called now, please feel free to bang out those five stars. Uh, James and I will be here on Friday morning we'll be looking back on the Southampton game please can we just have a bit of serenity now catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye